We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. are forever in our shadow. We may not be playing our best right now, but at least we still play the games. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Pitty. You me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We still play our games. When we have a game, we show up. Some would say, no, we don't. We do. We show up. We put players on the pitch. What happens after that is anybody's guess. But Spurs, yeah, they don't even play. They literally, they finally figured out that they are so worthless that they don't even play football. Their matches are just called off for the sake of football generally. And I think that's... uh a decision that is long overdue. It was not a great night at the Emirates. It was a great night at the Emirates, not a great result at the Emirates, but a great night nonetheless. I think over 12,000 Arsenal fans there to cheer on the women against Barcelona didn't go the way you might hope, but their uh, Champions League dreams are not dashed. There's still hope there. So we we do keep hope alive, and in Southampton tomorrow, we'll be touching on all of that. Uh, we will have a live stream today, which means tomorrow is definitely a loss, so I apologize for that. But by the time you're hearing this, you won't even know about it because the live stream will been long since over. So don't worry about that. Uh, let's get on with the business of doing the podcast. So Tim is on Twitter at Stuberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. If you are a masochist, um, we have just the thing for you. A 35-minute podcast on our Patreon that went up yesterday that is um, just me. Just me talking. Stream of consciousness, 35 minutes. There's some life lessons in there as well uh, if you really, really want to know what to avoid. But so that's that's all there and you can get to it. Tim, um, starting with you, there's a lot to get to today, tidbits and notes and things like that, but I think it would be remiss of us not to touch on the night that was. Um, I, more than the football, because look, we got pretty handily beaten by a team that we covered last time as substantially better than us at this point. One of the best, if mm-hmm. not the best in the world, likely Champions League winners, Barcelona. But just the occasion, the event, playing in front of 12,000 at the Emirates and what, what the night was like. Yeah, having 12,000, which was a record for a European game um, for Arsenal ladies slash women. Um, so that's really positive. And what what was really kind of nice about it as well, and Jonas Eideveld spoke about this after the game, that the crowd really stayed with the team. So, you know, Arsenal didn't get to attack very often, but when they did, even when it was 3-4-0, um, you know, the, the crowd really stayed with them. 
um and and that was that was really really nice and i i guess um because there's just generally a lot less toxicity around women's football and probably around arsenal women who are uh, far more successful than their male counterparts but it it was just um it was just nice to have that kind of feeling in the stadium that even when um you know you're losing quite badly that that the fans really stay with it and you know the the weather was absolutely dreadful um in north london yesterday as well and i was really scared that i i was thinking a mixture of uh you know playing really badly and losing in the fa cup final against chelsea and really putting in a non-performance and the weather i thought oh this is really going to hit the attendance but it it really didn't and um the way they sold the tickets as well was they kept people together so it wasn't disparate they sold block by block um and and that created a really nice atmosphere and look i do think a lot of people were there um to see barcelona as well and rightly so because they are uh, very comfortably the best team in europe at the moment and they showed that again and um, you know, just to remind people that they played Chelsea in the final last year and won four 0 so they can and do do that to everyone. Um, mm. Unfortunately, so it it wasn't unexpected, um, but I think you know rightly so. A lot of people went to see um, what people were talking about with this Barcelona Femini team because they are um, absolutely phenomenal. They really are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of the process is measuring yourself against the absolute best. That doesn't mean you're always going to measure up the way you'd like, but I think it can only be a benefit, right? It's it's only yeah. a good thing to get that that experience. And I think playing in front of that crowd and playing on the Emirates pitch, like it, it'll just be a good step in the, here's that word again, process. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And one of the things um, that, you know, I hope the players say amongst themselves as well is that Barcelona, before they won this year's final 4-0, they played in the 2020 final against Lyon uh, and lost that 4-0. Um, so, they, they, you know, this this team hasn't sprung up overnight. They've been together four or five years, longer than that in really in the spine of their team. Um, so it's it's been a process, but it was it was fascinating actually speaking to Jonas afterwards because he was talking about you know how you play against Barca and he was saying because of how aggressive they are towards the ball and because they swarm the ball they actually give you a lot of space, but the problem is their counter pressing is so good. Uh, the, the words he used were that window of opportunity is open for one second and you've got to get your touch and your pass absolutely right. And if you do, you know, he was saying you've only got to look behind their defensive line. There is lots and lots of space, but you have to be perfect because they will be all over you inside two seconds. So you've got to do it in one second. And he was talking about that's that's what he sees as the next phase of the development of this team. Um, and he wants to do lots of training exercises around you know, being able to play under pressure a lot more, being able to make those decisions in half a second or less, being able to execute like that. And he was saying, look, we, that's not going to happen overnight. That's just going to have to happen, you know, by practicing constantly over and over. And yeah, he said there's there's also no better way uh, than, than playing a team like Barcelona. Yeah, I think um, even on the men's side, you know, there were times when we had some footballing lessons taught to us against Barcelona teams, but even though they were unpleasant at the time, may have been good for that group. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm open to that. It would be very, very interesting indeed, Tim, if these teams were to face each other uh, again in, in some stage of the knockout rounds. Now, Arsenal are still, you think, odds on to get, get into the knockouts? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've got one game left, and if they have to not lose 5-0 against Hoffenheim because it's done on head-to-head, and they beat Hoffenheim 4-0 at home. So I, I think they will. And the good news is, if they do, um, they can't play Barca again until the final. So, um, you know, if they do play Barcelona again this season, it will be because they've got to the final. So let's hope for that, even though, um, you know, we'd be looking at a runners-up medal almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. So, I mean, still plenty to go in that competition for Arsenal. We'll see what happens. Not a great run, unfortunately, with the FA Cup loss to Chelsea women, but, um, you know, things can always turn around as they need to for the men as well, I think you would say, Paul. And we're in that unfortunate moment now where Clive's washing machine idea is not just a mug, it's also a saying. And uh, I really do think that it it's relevant because... Once people start to sour on a manager or or feel like they don't trust a manager, things like that, then suddenly everything becomes viewed through the lens of that distrust. And one area where I think that is happening potentially is with some of the quotes that came out today. I I, I don't really know how to take, for example, the Inkedia quote. Um, Mikel Arteta quoted as basically saying, you know, I I want to keep Eddie Inkedia. Um you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll read you the quote. We are having some discussions with him and his agent. I would like him to stay at the club. He's our player and someone who we rate. He has the Arsenal DNA in his blood. His reason for rejecting the contract is that he wants to play more football. Now, sometimes you have to take a manager on on face value. I mean, he has been very complimentary of Eddie and Kenny in the past. He seemed to want to play him. He wouldn't let him go out on loan. Then he just sort of, I guess, lost sight of him, couldn't find reasons to use him. He has brought him back in now at a time when contract negotiations are going on. So I mean, do you have a sense of what's real and what's coach speak here and what the club should be doing regardless? Um, what's real? Well, the thing is people wrote off and Katia staying with us. I always had a sneaking suspicion that we wanted to keep him and that there's a potential way. Um, because he's been with the club for so long, and it is about playing time. Um, he's a very good player. Um, he's he's got a very good all round game. Arteta's developed him to be more than just a penalty box striker. Um, he's not a starter for us. Uh, a team that's playing in multiple competitions, including Europe, needs multiple starters. Um, or sorry, multiple strikers will lose Lacazette in the summer. Uh, we Balogun may turn into a fine forward, but actually Eddie's further along at the moment. And, uh, you know, we look at Chelsea. How many fucking players do they have in every position of a high level? They just manage their contracts better and they manage their loans better and they have more control over the resources they have. But they have three times the number of players coming through their system, uh, maturing, then they can get on the pitch. And I, g- given all our other issues, I don't know why we get in the slightest bit upset about Eddie, except if we make poor decisions along the way. If we give him a contract, if we give him a ba- bad contract, don't use him, don't sell him, that's a problem. If we... Uh, secure the contract situation in the way that protects our investment. He's part of our uh, plans because there's no point in lying to him. And he becomes part of a bigger squad playing more competitions next year. 
I really don't have any issue with it. I've always liked him. Um, I've liked him at Arsenal. I like the way he's we've developed him. Um, it's funny how none of our strikers have looked particularly good over the last 18 months. And at the same time, we've created very few opportunities in the box for them. I think those two things might be related. And I think our negative view on Enketi is somewhat colored by the same thing the colors our Aubameyang discussions or our Martinelli discussions, which is if we don't create enough in the final third, enough good opportunities for somebody like that to shine, you're not going to see the best of the player. If Eddie had put that uh, header in the back of the net uh, the last game, we'd feel a little bit different about it. If he'd done that on a more regular basis because he was getting more opportunities in more competitions, scoring more goals, we'd be like, we don't want to sell him. We don't want to. We don't want to lose him, and he'd be more uh, in the family. So I don't have a huge problem with it if they do it right. It's not an automatic for me, for me that we should let him go. Um, next year we will need three strikers if we make it into Europe. If we don't, we won't. And uh, Eddie is a very good developing young player who who isn't just a penalty box striker and is developing his game. He does more in terms of hold-up. He does more in, in building our play than he did before. Um, so I don't... Uh, it depends. It depends on what happens next. I don't think it's just manager speak, and I don't think we're just trying to give him a contract to protect our investment. I think there's two sides to it. We want to protect our investment, and we rate the player and can see him as as part of our future in uh in, in a season or so, but maybe he needs to go on loan for a, for a year um, and be part of a coherent plan. If he's not part of a coherent plan, yeah, I got issues with it. Yeah, I mean, he had a loan where he didn't play as much as we would have liked, so that wasn't helpful. Um, I, think- I think he learned a lot in the loan, though. I think it was good for him. I mean, it was under Bielsa. He was fighting his way into the team. Uh, like a, a lot of the... The commentary at the time was on the basis that, oh, they're just a championship team and he can't even get past this this woodener, uh, Bamford, whoever he is. It turns out Bamford is actually very good. And that Leeds team was the same team that came into the Premier League and was basically mid-table and gave a lot of teams a lot of trouble. The, he, you know, we thought he should stroll into a championship team and be entitled to the starting position and he was having to fight for it and I think it was very good for him I think he uh, Bielsa was asking a lot more of Eddie in terms of his hold-up play his contribution his running his thinking his game outside of the box as well as inside of the box and I think that's been good for him and Arteta leveraged that when he got back to the club yeah no I I think it could absolutely be a good experience for the player I I, do I think the club would have been a little happier if he had been somewhere where he was playing every game I think ideally, but maybe not. It's funny that you referenced Chelsea, actually, because Chelsea's a good example of of actually having a very, very talented academy striker who they just moved on because, yes, they have multiple players in multiple positions, but they didn't, he wasn't the level and he wasn't going to get the opportunities and he moved on for the best for his career and they were happy to let him. So it's it's sort of an interesting comparison. I I agree with you in the one sense that if we lose Nketiah now, we're going to lose him for whatever tribunal wants to give us, which will be a pittance. And there's almost no benefit to us of doing that. If we give him a contract and and it's not a big one, you know, I mean, let's say it's 60 grand a week. I don't, I don't know that you're keeping him for that, to be fair. I, I don't know what he's on right now. But then you can say, all right, we have a striker who's still young. You can loan him out. 
You can give him Europa League minutes if we get back in, or you know, God forbid, Champions League minutes. Well, you wouldn't do that. Um, and see where it goes and eventually get a fee for a young striker that should be more than what a tribunal is going to give you. But there is also the point that Arsenal is just a club that has been too slow and too reluctant to move on and recognize it's time to move on. And, you know, I, I think of Nketi in a way like, like a poor man's a Wobi in a sense that you squint and you want to see the best qualities of the player, but sometimes moving on from them makes space for someone else. And if Balogun is good, and if Balogun is going to go out on loan in January and come back in the summer and want to play, does Nketiah's new contract mean Balogun has another season on loan or fewer minutes next season? You know, like keeping a Wobi might have meant Saka doesn't break through or Martinelli can't play or whatever the case may be. And so there are cascading impacts to keeping players and I think it, you do have to balance those equities to some extent. Tim, I'll give you a, a quick Wait, bit on that. Can I just say, you mentioned Tammy Abraham, but they sold him when he's 24. Eddie's what, 21-ish? 22, maybe? I can, you know 21 what? 21 going 22. 22. Yeah, 22. Um, you know, the, pre, the season before Tammy Abrams was playing at Chelsea, wasn't playing all the time, but he was playing the season before that. I think he was on loan, wasn't he? So... Like, Next season he'll be will be he'll, he'll be twenty three years old. So this summer he'll he'll be he'll be twenty. Yeah. So like we're you know the, they're not the same player. They won't have the same um, path. But it's it's not necessarily totally dissimilar. It's like how you do it, not not whether you yeah. do it. I no, think. that's fair. And I mean, look, I think this the the debate is never is this player crap, right? I hate when it gets reduced. To that Alex Awobi wasn't crap, although Everton fans right now kind of think he is, but. It's the point that there's cascading impacts to keeping a player, um, much like there were to buying Lacazette and Aubameyang in consecutive transfer windows. Um, and I think balancing those things is hard. And so, Tim, this is a chance for you to talk about this and Balogun because there's a question of whether Balogun should go on loan and what's going to happen with Eddie Nketiah and his contract. And I think the two players are sort of linked and ironically have the same agent. Um, you could say that Balogun should start the League Cup tie and the FA mm-hmm. Cup third round tie, and then go out on loan. That mm-hmm. feels like a pretty good way to get him, you know, some first team opportunities, and then off you go on loan, go get beat up by men for a while, you know, on the pitch in the championship or whatever it is, and come back stronger and ready to fight for a place next next summer. Um, but with these quotes, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if those are in Kedia starts for a guy that doesn't have a contract and may not want to sign one. So I, I think those two situations are sort of linked in terms of what's best for the club. So do, do you see them as similarly linked or totally independent? Yeah, a little bit. And I suppose it puts a little bit more context around Nketiah coming on in the last two games. If it's been more about trying to convince him to stay than, you know, hating Pepe or having a problem with Aubameyang or anything like that. Like, I still think like Pepe is still definitely a situation. Don't get me wrong. Um, but maybe like putting him, putting him on ahead of Aubameyang that one time was, was more about <clears throat> giving him minutes. Like, I'm, I'm a bit torn on this and I guess that just means I, I need more information because on one hand I'm thinking Nketiah didn't have a single Premier League minute until eight days ago. So what's changed so much that we find him so crucial because we kind of done without him <laughs> the whole season and nobody's really clamored for him um least of all the manager so it does seem a bit strange to suddenly change your mind on this player who you've you know you've worked with a lot over the last couple of years on the other hand i guess it depends on the con and, and like so cards on the table i 
I'd, I'd be very surprised if Nketiah ever became good enough to be anything other than like third, maybe second choice striker. Mm. Um, I'd be very surprised now, um, but that that's not to say that, that my job's judgment on that is absolute. But I guess it depends on what happens um, with the striking situation going forward. So maybe if the planning is, well, look, we've got Balogun, we've got Nketiah, we think we can use both of them, and then we'll like replace Abamyang and Lacazette with one player. So when Lacazette goes this summer, we'll buy that one striker, we'll give Abamyang another year, and then by the time Abamyang's gone, like hopefully Balogun and like Nketiah will be like 24 by then, <clears throat> and we'll have a very clear idea by then, I think, uh, on where where exactly he sits. We'll have a clearer idea on Balogun, and perhaps Balogun will be more um, usable, for want of a better word, which is not to say he's unusable at the moment, but I think we can see he's not quite ready and he needs a loan in the second half of the season. So, you know, if you send him on loan and you've got AFCON, so you're going to lose a couple of attackers and Nketiah kind of comes more into the four at that point, then, you know, maybe it just depends how much it's about forward planning. If their plan is, well, look, we've got Nketiah, we've got Balogun, maybe even Martinelli um, to throw in there. We know Aubameyang and Lacazette are going soon. So if we buy one senior striker um, to, to replace those two, and then we let these three guys kind of battle it out, really um after that and if after two years you decide Nketi is never going to get to the level you can sell him um ditto Balogun will know more in two years so if if there's something like that behind it I think it probably makes more sense than it seems to in like in and of this moment um but what I'm yeah but but it, it yeah it, it essentially it all just depends but I do. I still do have this kind of nagging fear that, like Arteta's holding on to some tropes from the past, and that it's very much like, oh, oh. But I quite like Inketa, and it's that kind of indecisiveness again. Um, I don't know. I th- I think really, I'd know. I, well, I'd certainly well, know. Let me more, let me ask him. Yeah. Is this the case where Mikel Arteta needs and does not have? Again, land of speculation here. The strong voice in his ear mm-hmm. that tells him let us move this player on we've got some ideas we can discuss with you we're not going to leave you short at the position you know someone you know yeah, the yeah. david dean to to his arson wenger although that is you know, maybe an unfair comparison to both but you, you know what i mean I, and, yeah, and yeah. maybe that is edu i don't know I, I i totally admit i don't know but does he need someone to just put a hand on his shoulder and and tell him when it's time to get off the fence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and really, like, why are we doing this with Nketiah now <laughs> instead of twelve months ago? Like, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm sure twelve months ago conversations were were being had, but like, why not do this twelve months ago? Start like if you really want to secure Eddie, start giving him those minutes like this time last year. And introducing him into the fold a little bit more, it just seems a little bit after the Lord Mayor show, and and everything I've described about like the future of the forward line is kind of fine for Arsenal. I'm not sure we can convince Eddie Nketiah to sign on that basis. I'm not sure we can properly sell. Well, we see you as third choice at the moment, but these guys are going to leave, and maybe you can be second choice after that. Like, I'm not sure he's going to go for that. Like, I I think, and particularly because Arsenal shouldn't really be offering him. 
an enormous pay bump for that. He can probably go lower down in the Premier League and, and still pick up the same salary and play. So, And at this stage of his career, that's what he needs to do. I don't, I don't think he can sit there and wait. Um, until he's 24 because like I you know I agree with Paul like Tammy Abraham's been sold at the age of 24 but that was because he was playing at 22 and he had two seasons you know playing regularly for Chelsea and they decided he wasn't quite what they wanted he was good but not quite the level they wanted and then they sold him on like if he doesn't start playing till he's 24 we're not going to know till he's 26 and half his career will be gone yeah I think that's pretty well summarized. And look, I don't want to pretend this is the most pressing issue at the club, but I think it is an interesting one in terms of process because another transfer window is coming, opportunities to move players on and loan, to sell players, to bring players in, and you know, seeing clear lines of thought about how we want to handle certain situations is always encouraging as it pertains to the rest of the squad building that still has to be done. And Paul, there's just no getting away from striker talk because it is it is the position du jour that we are concerned about two old strike well you know old is not a fair way to put it but two more senior strikers in the club neither of which are particularly firing younger players who haven't really made the position their own one frozen out player who you know might have been a consideration for it but certainly will not as it appears right now so i don't know where we go with it there were a lot of questions in the press conference today for Mikel Arteta about Aubameyang he reiterated that the relationship is good, that the selection is never personal. It's what's best for the club. Players go through patches. He talked about patches a lot, um, which is also, by the way, I believe the name of the uh, trainer in dodgeball, right? If you can dodge a ball, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> no, no one saw no, that great no. classic. Uh, you you got to watch it. If you can dodge uh, a wrench. It's also look, got the, the classic line from uh, Ben um, Stiller, uh, no one makes me bleed my own blood. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like they do trailers for movies and like they're hilarious, but the movies are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trailers for Dodgeball weren't even good, so I never watched it. I mean, it's it's slapstick stupid, but I, I think it's funny. The, the other thing it has is what's become a very popular gif, which is bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it work, plays out for him, <laughs> which I really like. Uh, anyway, enough of that, although that may be more entertaining than discussing our striker situation. W- what do you think we we do this weekend specifically against Southampton at striker, and in general, do you think Aubameyang is still the best option despite the poor form? I I am so torn on how to analyze Aubameyang because he's missing everything. But we've always sort of committed to the idea that if he's getting the chances, that's fine. He's a player that has missed chances in his career, his whole career. I don't just don't know that he's getting enough chances, and I don't know how much of that is him and how much is his teammates. So... I, I cannot come back to any conclusion other than Oba is the best of a bad set of choices right now, but I'm curious where you come down on the striker situation for this weekend and then maybe a little bit beyond. Um, so I don't really come down on the striker situation um, because I don't think it's the real issue. Um, I've taken a couple of days to just kind of chill out and kind of... Uh, uh, find my bearings on where we're at. Mm -hmm. And I went back and had a look at the Everton game to try and work out what I think is our issue. Because we should have gone there and we should have outplayed them and we didn't. There's no real good reason for it. Um, When I looked at the game, uh, my, my reading of it was for 35 or so minutes, the first 35 or so minutes, we were very tentative um we'd get we'd knock the ball about 
we would look to progress it from our defensive third, play it up a bit, play it back a bit, play it up a bit, miss a moderate difficulty pass, but we've got a fairly good passing technical team, no reason to miss those passes. Then with about five, seven minutes to go before halftime, everybody says, uh, shit, we better get on this and actually do something. And they start playing more aggressively, uh, nailing their passes, making their movements, uh, their triangles on the corners, and we start creating some opportunities. There's... Our, our approach to playing and the level we're playing at uh, is not matched. And I don't really know why we're so kind of sheepish, why, why we're not trusting our passing. But that's basically what has to change. The structure's in place. The players are good enough. Uh, the manager can coach. And... He needs to transmit to the players, and the players need to show up on the pitch and make their passes. Uh, I'll give you an example of, and this relates to the striker problem because it really doesn't fucking matter who the striker is. If we keep playing the ball around our defensive third, play it into the middle third, and then we kind of play it back or we miss a pass, and instead of getting seven or eight passes together, we're a team that needs to control the ball. We're the a team that needs to manage possession, we're not going to be direct. We're not going to get up the field in two or three passes. We are not going to press and get uh, and gagan press and force turnovers. Like, that's not happening this week, next week, or the week after. So when it comes to the striker question, the question isn't about the striker. It's about uh, this team having the confidence, the trust uh, in their players so that when Thomas Partey receives the ball, in midfield from our two centre-backs and he can step step forward ahead of his near markers into midfield and then progress the ball, that's what he does instead of knocking it back. So that when Gabriel Martinelli receives it on, on the wing, uh, when we've taken a bit of a risk with the ball to get it to him and Tierney has run past him, he doesn't knock it back to the centre-backs and we start again. Um and that Odegaard doesn't drop into midfield and then miss his pass because, I don't know, he's not sharp, he's not on it, he doesn't trust himself, he doesn't trust the player. He's So that when Tomiyasu, Saka and Odegaard are up in the right-hand corner, one of the playing triangles, one of them makes the run that opens it up rather than we feed it back to the other side and come back comes back again. We need to be much more clinical and decisive. Now, th- this was what I thought after the Everton game. Sorry to go on a bit, but I, I'm getting to my my point here. I open up the comments today and uh, the news, and I see Arteta's spiel, and he says, uh, when asked about the strikers, he says basically exactly what I just said, which is we need to actually just start making our passes. And be brave. He uses the term in there. Something Take, to, here, let me read the quote out. Yeah. How's pra, uh, how, so how do we improve our attacking game? Practice it more and encourage players to take more risks. Put the ball more often in the box when we have the opportunity to have more bodies there and start to score the big chances that we have. It's always a combination. Who creates the chances for the forwards? It's themselves. It's the team. It's the collective capacity for the team to arrive better in conditions in the final third. It's the numbers in the box. We can look at everything, but the reality is we need more goals. 
And the thing I would have said is that's exactly like I was kind of it. it, it it's very profound in a way, I think, because it not because it's complicated, but because it talks to the actual basic issue. And uh, the only thing I would have changed in that is. I think we have the problem before the back box. I think we have the problem before the final third. Now you can't. Maybe as a manager, he was asked about strikers, but that to me is an absolute statement of what our issue is. Except the final third and then the box. We. It wasn't until the last five seven minutes of the first half and the beginning of the second half for about ten fifteen minutes that we played into, stayed in, maintained the pressure, maintained our position in the final third. That's it. That's all of it. Then you can ask in a game or two, which striker and what's the issue and blah, blah, blah. But until we do that, um, but but the other side of it is there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't have played better in this game against Everton. I, I watched it. I watched the passes we played back. I watched the passes... We didn't make. I, I, I. You can see the runs that didn't get made, and you're like, "Why? Just, just run there. Just, ma- you can make that pass. It's not. I'm not talking about visionary sweeping passes. These are basic middle, totally agree, middle I difficulty totally pass yeah. with with a team full of players who are picked because they can pass. Mm. This is the next step right now. Play better football. Yeah, and the, one of the stats that jumps out at me that, that Scott had pointed to in terms of us just being terrible in that game is prog- progressive passes. For the first yeah. 79 minutes, we played 20 progressive passes. Like, it's just, that's not going to get it done. And to be fair to Arteta, like, look, I don't, I'm not here to just defend Mikel Arteta. I think he did bad in the United and Everton games in a variety of ways that I've already covered. And if you want 35 minutes on it, you can go listen to Solo Pod on Patreon. But... He's not telling his players, pass it backwards, don't progress it, don't make a move to be... I mean, there is something fundamentally not happening, Tim, and I you know, I, I don't know what it is. One thing that I, I hear a lot is, you know, oh, the, the football's too precise and too robotic, but, like, we're 11th in the league in possession and 6th in completion percentage. Like, it's not like we're just 98% passing and 1,000 passes a game but not going anywhere. We're just not doing anything particularly high volume or... Or precise, so it, you know that that answer doesn't necessarily add up to me. But in terms of the striker situation, Tim, this is a tough one, and I, I don't want it to feel like a leading question. But I, you know me; I can't help myself. <laughs> if you find yourself in a situation where you've spent hundreds of millions of pounds in the prior window, one of your biggest net spend windows, maybe ever, I don't know, um, and you've revamped the squad, and at the end of this massive spending spree. You go into the very next January window absolutely desperate to solve one of the most important positions in football. I think it's possible that you missed a trick the window before. Now, I'm not saying there was a striker out there for us to get, but we bought a left back and we bought a right back and we bought a center back and we bought a goalkeeper. We bought an attacking midfielder and we bought a backup central midfielder. And Mm. now we are very sure that central midfield and striker are a problem. Central midfield, we probably knew would be, but striker in particular. And I just, does it does it give you pause? Because there's been a lot of credit given for what we did last summer. And individually, I like all of the players. I don't think I individually dislike any of the players. But I do think looking back on how we, we had some questions, you know, does this quote move the needle? Is this the right allocation of resources? I, I do think it is a little bit weird that we find ourselves having spent hundreds of millions in the summer 
and we are like a, a man in the desert desperate for a glass of water for a striker situation, which is the most challenging position and most important position to solve. So, I mean, it, it is definitely a position we need to do something about. I can't see us doing it in January. What's your take on striker? And and if you don't mind, can you indulge me? Does it does it require you to at least question the the allocation we just made with such a big payout to leave such an important position really really struggling? No, to be honest. Um, Good. That's on, great. That's on great the, to hear. <laughs> um, and, and I'll tell you why. We actually have two really decent strikers um, in, in Lacazette and Aubameyang. The issue is we're not getting anything out of them. And why aren't we getting anything out of them? And you referenced um, some of the stuff that we're not doing. Like, why not? Like, we bought Ramsdale and Ben White, I think, in part, because well, one of the things that excited me about both of those signings was the fact that they could go long. And I was thinking, great, we're not going to spend, like, 25 minutes passing the ball around the edge of our own box anymore. Like, these guys can, it's, you know, they give you some variety. They can pass short, but if you press, they can go over the top of you. Excellent. We can get the ball up the pitch much more quickly. We'll have We'll have two different ways of doing it party brilliant progressive passer why is that stopped why is that stopped happening in the last couple of games even against newcastle i think i said on the post newcastle pod he found odegaard 13 times now obviously newcastle is a very different game but he's really good at progressive passing so why is he not doing it at the moment and it's the same with those center forwards like we're kind of saying it it feels desperate now because they're not producing but they're still really good centre forwards, both of them. Um, very, you know, we, we've gone over a million times the reasons why it's it's kind of, I guess, problematic that they're both in the same squad and what they can't do and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but they're still both really good. Like it's not like the cupboard is bare. It's just they're not doing it, and I'm not convinced that it's it's certainly not entirely their fault because you know we dropped to Bamiang we said like right a Bamiang rubbish playing rubbish he must be dropped we played Lacazette and what happened nothing exactly the same like it, and so that tells you there is something else going on here I think um, and that we're still not creating chances no matter who we put up front so for me the Tim ch- can- can Go I say it. or ask you, because I've had a phrase that you've said ringing in my head during and since the Everton game. Um, you, you kind of say something to the effect of the problem with Arsenal is that we need to play play the perfect goal to yeah, score, yeah. right, with the build-up, etc. And while I fully know what you mean, and I, I concur in some ways, I still look at the Everton game and say, you know what? We didn't need the perfect goal. We just need the good passing, not the like. Yeah, and it happened, didn't it? At one yeah. one, like as soon yeah. as they equalised, bang, it was there again. Same against United. As soon yeah. as United equalised or went ahead, bang, it was there again. Suddenly, it wasn't a problem to get in the box anymore. So yeah. that, that's it what doesn't have to be brilliant and like I know what you're saying, and we do do it the harder way, but it doesn't actually have to be perfect. If it no. was good against most of these teams, we beat them three one. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's what I mean about there's something else going on and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. And it kind of sounds like worryingly that Arteta can't either because he keeps saying this isn't what he's asking for. So what is it that's stopping them? Or what is it that like just causes that blockage? Because we see in games, the way they start games sometimes, maybe not so much against Everton, the way they started against United, that was only one game ago. Like yeah. I know it, it feels like months ago now and it feels like we've been losing for months but this is two games we started that United game brilliantly we took it to them we were all over them and then we stopped that's the issue we had no problem attacking United 10 or 15 minute period against Everton the end of the first half the start of the second half where it's like oh this is good just keep this going guys yeah and then it stops so so to me, it's not really a personnel issue because we can do it. We can see that they can do it. They did it. Like, what's our argument here? It's not that they can't, or sorry, our frustration isn't that they can't do it at all. It's that they don't do it enough or they do it until they're 1-0 up and, and stop. Look at Leicester. I know Leicester are a bit crap this season, but we absolutely, like, we fully deserve to be 2-0 up when Smith Rowe scored that goal. We were all over them. And then we stopped. And that's a bit more understandable at 2-0 away from home. I still think we stopped too much. So Yeah, that, that one felt like more issue. controlled than some of the other ones where it feels like we stopped, but we're not in control. It's just yeah. it's happening to us. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know... We're not I, dropping back. We're just... We stop making those passes. We start being more... You know, I, I'm glad that Arteta said we need to take more risks because they need yeah. to grow a pair and go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, like we've got two decent strikers there, even if there's like issues with them and maybe they're feeling the age curve and the rest of it, they're still good players. And, you know, Aubameyang, he's got five goals this season, doesn't have any in five games, but five games ago, he was going at a reasonable clip. Uh, considering he missed all his penalties, so they were all non-penalty goals. So what what's happened to stop that? And so when it comes to like the allocation of resources last summer, I mean, really, to have bought another striker in, then yes, you have to either not do the Odegaard or Ben White deals, and maybe you could convince me on Ben White um, that you know we wait for Saliba or whatever. I still think it's actually more likely that Rob Holding goes and Saliba takes his place and we kind of go from there. Um, I still would have done the Odegaard deal. I still think it was incredible. Like we played three months, four months last season without a number 10 and we all saw how that went. So I do think that, that was a hole that needed filling and mm. I still prefer Smith Rowe out wide. So I, I think while you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette as w- whatever their flaws, I think that makes the striking issue less urgent and one you put off until this summer when you don't have Lacazette anymore and you probably don't have Nketiah either. Mm. Well, look, I mean, sometimes the solution is to go get new bodies, but sometimes the solution is to do more with the bodies you have. And I think we can agree that like, if you can't get a new body, you can shave the one you have. And that is definitely an option. And it's something that I think we should all be considering. I did not see that one coming. and I almost always see them coming. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, I may not have a lot to contribute to the footballing aspects of the podcast, but I'll be damned if I don't have a segue. And, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that Aubameyang, you know, maybe the issue is, is hair. Maybe the issue with Lacazette, you know, we're saying, oh, he's running around like he's carrying an extra few pounds. Maybe those extra few pounds are just hair he hasn't shaved in ages. I don't know what his back looks like or his privates or any of those areas, you know? And I'm not saying that that's what I need to know. I'm just saying that I know the Lawnmower 4.0 can solve that problem. 
It can solve that problem for you too. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, but not a hirsute little Christmas. This is the season to give a better body. And I don't mean a better body where you have to stop eating the, the yummy cookies or as you, what do you guys call them? Um, you don't call them cookies. You call them. Um, Bickies, biscuits. Them? Biscuits. That's it. Biscuits. Yeah. Biscuits, a different thing here, especially Whereas if you live you, in the South. Yeah, so, your biscuits are the ones pirates used to eat, which are like, just like bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever, Tim, have you ever had like what, what an American might call a biscuit? I, I think so. Yeah. 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 They're like They're fluffy, terrible. flaky bread. You, you, you put yeah. butter in the middle of it. No, I'm sorry. I lived in Nashville for a little bit. When you get biscuits and gravy, that's, well, anyway, you know, we can have this debate another time because right now we're talking about your privates. Well, not your privates specifically, but so the, the, the <laughs> hypothetical person's privates who needs to shave it. Let's give you some gift ideas, stocking stuffers. Oh, God, I'm not going to read the copy directly. <laughs> You could get the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Just launch. Kill two birds with one stone. You could get the cologne-infused body wash. You would smell so good. You get Shears 2.0. I will tell you, there are a few things that get my wife to compliment me uh, on my appearance for the obvious, most obvious of reasons. But when my nails are nice, she says, oh, your nails look good. Well, the Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit. Crop mops are wipes for your copy deleted redacted not going to read what it says there but for the smelly areas and of course the signature cologne vegan cruelty free dye free sulfate free and paraben free so you know the products are legit but of course it's lawnmower 4.0 waterproof wet dry take it anywhere shave yourself with ceramic blades skin safe technologies you don't want ingrown hairs you don't want nicks and cuts down there don't use a rusty razor it's what you've been doing don't do that do this manscape.com promo code arsenal vision manscape.com promo code arsenal vision 20 percent off free shipping it's a gift you need it's a gift you want get it for your partner dad brother sister friend sister brother weird don't mm-mm, <laughs> don't recommend it but the you know the other people the people in your life your maybe get it for Obamiang. i'm not saying i'm just saying tim is that enough of that? Uh, yeah, I, I'm with Paul, though. That was very seamless. Well done. No, thanks. Um, I really do appreciate it. That's what I strive to bring to this podcast is absolute nonsense. Um, all right, striker talk, check. You know, one thing, though, that um, – you know what? I do want to touch on the COVID thing a little bit. Let's back – put that to the back of the pod. Um, I, I want to talk about where we go from here. Paul, one of the things that I think is unfortunate is – all debates about a manager tend to be reduced to should he be sacked or should he stay? Mm-hmm. And I thought about why that is. And I actually think it's really natural, right? Because if you're like, oh, Aubameyang's out of form, what are some things you can say? You can say he should be benched. Try him on the left. Maybe we need to create more chances for him. Some of it's his fault, some of it isn't. But you know you can't sack the players. So sometimes you say, oh, you know, maybe he should be out of the squad for a bit. You know, there are lots of different things you can analyze. Or you can say, well, maybe the problem with Aubameyang is, is actually the forward next to him or the midfielder behind him. But there's one manager. You can't rotate him out of the squad. You can only say keep him or sack him. You can't say maybe he should take this week. You know, and so it becomes a conversation that gets guided towards that. And one thing that I think we should be clear about: you should be able to criticize the manager without needing to then go on record about whether he should be sacked or not. So, for example, I should be able to say I think Arteta had a mare against Everton. I think he did. It shouldn't need to mean he should be sacked tomorrow or he should get a five-year contract. I just, I wish we could stay a little bit more focused on analyzing the individual incidents and moments without needing to necessarily, and there'll be time for this, but needing to necessarily make the next leap intellectually. Um, so, you know, we, we, I think all of us agree, United and Everton weren't his best moments. 
Let's see where he goes from here. And that leads me to the question, Paul, of where he kind of needs to go from here. Um, because I, I think there's an interesting thing with Arteta. I actually don't think Arteta is a bum or a dope. I just don't know that I think yet at this stage he's ready to be an elite manager. And so I think he's very unlikely to bottom out, but I think he's probably unlikely to totally take us where we want to go. And and as a result, what I could see is a situation where he's competent enough to keep us around that sixth, seventh place without bottoming out enough for it to be clear he has to go or moving us up enough to be like, it's clear he's ascended to where we need to be. And that can actually be kind of a dangerous place to live. Mm. Our upcoming fixtures before City on New Year's Day are Southampton at home, West Ham at home, Leeds away, Norwich away, Wolves at home. That mm-hmm. leaves out the cup tie, and my God, if he doesn't fully rotate on December 21st for Sunderland at home, then I will be screaming at him because you cannot play on Saturday, Tuesday, and five days later, and then three days later, and play your full team against Sunderland in the EFL Cup. You can't do that, and he won't do that, and I hope he won't do that. But with those fixtures, Southampton home, West Ham home, Leeds away, Norwich away, Wolves at home. It's five league fixtures, pretty condensed, but none of them, West Ham aside, but that is at the Emirates where we've been pretty decent. None of them are games we should be looking to to do anything more than win, anything less than win. I realize that's every game, but like, what do you feel is needed in this run? And it doesn't just have to be points. It can be other uh, objectives, but what are the objectives we need to be looking for here before we go city at home, spurs away to start the new year? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it in those terms, but you, inter- you hit an interesting point. Uh, small sample size, but maybe we're better playing at home this season than away by some considerable measure. And that maybe that leads or is driven by the fact that this team needs to get on the uh, proactive attacking front foot, which you tend to do in front of your home crowd because they're not going to have too much patience for tippy-tappy around the back and then a bad pass. Eventually, you got to start going for it. And so uh, I think three of those five games you mentioned were at home. Um, and so this is a run of games that gives us an opportunity to reset how we uh, proceed in games, to be more proactive, to be more aggressive with our passing, to be to play the good football and to get the run going. And so uh, what do we need to do? That's basically it. We need to get on with uh, being positive in our football, trusting trusting the player will make the run, trusting you'll make the pass, and spending much more time in the attacking third. That's that's basically what needs to be on the menu. In terms of the discussion on Arteta and what is his upside and downside, I th- I look, it's you can't prove anything. And it's our own gut gut feelings, our instincts on who a player is. I agree with you. He he clearly must be a decent coach. He clearly is a smart guy. He clearly is a good communicator. Does that mean he's going to be a successful manager for us or for anybody? I think he'll be a successful manager for somebody at some point. Um, Will he be for us? I think he's going to keep improving and we'll keep getting better. On the other hand, uh, you only have so much time to outrun uh, the the mob, if that's what the supporters turn into when, when the progress isn't fast enough to 
to outrun the fact that players will leave, that their injuries will come, that other teams will adapt to your improvements. And so we will improve under Arteta because he's smart and because he will coach us. But you've got to improve at a rate that actually uh, improves you relative to the other changes that are going on. And he's just, you know, it's been a while now. Uh, we're not where I thought we would be at this point and where we need to be. And he needs to step it up or uh, we the perceived improvement, uh, until that becomes more visible, he's never going to get any rest and we're always going to get pulled back into this doldrums we're in. So this December month is an important one for, I think everybody senses that. Um w- I don't think the club's anywhere near making, even considering a U-turn or a change right now. So I don't think that's James McNicholas said the same thing on the Arscast, by the way. Okay. Um, I just, like, we could get into tough waters where we feel like there's a decision and a decision to be made as supporters and, like, it all gets a bit chaotic and confused. And that's what, you know, that's really what Arteta is fighting. He's not really fighting the sack. He's... He's fighting that chaos, that negativity, the shit in the media that comes back, and you get you then get pulled back. Oh. So that progress I'm talking there? about, that's what he's outrunning. Can he progress visibly? Yeah. Sorry. Can he progress at a rate no, of no, speed? No, no, no. I only lost for a second. You're there. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. That keeps him ahead of the chaos, the the bad vibes, the media, the supporters get Nancy. Um and like, that's the race. He's got five games here where he needs to have things gel, have the football happen for not 10 minutes of good football, but where we're really progressing and showing what we can do and playing playing more in the final third. And we can all once again see the plan, which we thought we could a couple of games ago. It's funny how things change really quickly. Okay, it was against weaker opportunity, but we saw what the plan was, what the play was, and we need to see that again soon and take it up a notch and then take it into January and February. Yeah. Um, do you want to add on that, Tim, just quickly in terms of uh, what you see as needed over the over this next period? The only thing I, I would add to what Cla- uh, Paul said, and I mostly agree with it, is I do think things can get untenable. I do think, you know, like if we lost every single game between now and New Year's Day, you, you know what I mean, right? Like I... Mm-hmm. You can you can have it in your mind that you are nowhere near ready to make that change and you are committed to what you're doing. I think circumstances can be imposed upon you. But barring that, yep. what do you think? When I say needs to be done, I don't mean needs to be done to save his job. I mean like what has to happen now so that this doesn't become another season of by February we're saying, well, maybe sixth is still in play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, what do we yeah, need yeah. to do now? Well, I can give quite a short answer to this. <laughs> they need to... There needs to no longer be a disconnect by what Arteta says he is saying to the team and what we're seeing from the team, because that's that's got to be worrying for him. If they are not acting on his instructions, he has to reflect on why that is, and he has to be self-critical about that as well, which is not to say he has to self-flagellate or say, like, oh, it's because I'm an idiot. Um, that's why this is happening. 
But, you know, I think he does have to be self-critical here. He does have to look at, okay, so they're doing all this dropping off and all these things I don't like and not being brave enough with the ball. And I'm looking at the spine of my team and I've lost Thomas Partey and I've lost Aubameyang and I've lost Lacazette. And Erdegaard, I think, has been better the last couple of games, but there was a point where I didn't de- deem him worthy of the starting lineup. And d- ditto Tierney, actually. Um, I know we look at that uh, correctly, I think, through the prism of Nuno Tavares doing well. But at the same time, that's one of your like lock starters that you took out the team for five games. So, you know, you start to look at all this and go, right, why have I lost some of these guys? And why have I lost this team a little bit? Why are they not doing what I say? So, I think it has to start with Arteta doing that. Obviously, we will have no idea whether that's happened, whether it's already happening, whether it's been happening for six months or whether um, he'll just go blithely on and say, no, it's the players that are out of touch, um, to, to quote the Simpsons meme. Yes. But um, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to think he won't do that. But I mean, I mean starting with Southampton tomorrow, I, I just, I, I want to see all of those bad habits that we all know what they are, that we've all complained about, the manager included. I just don't want to see them. So I want to see Party, um, you know, Thomas Partey making progressive passes again. I want to see whoever's playing up front. Um, well, I'd like to see us get the ball somewhere near them, um, but I'd, I'd like to see them make stretching runs and ask questions of the defence, even when they're, you know, if they're not on the ball or, you know, they're making a decoy run or whatever. That's that's what I want to see. I want, I just want to see a little bit more, I guess, action from this team. A, a little bit more like what happened when Everton equalised and all of a sudden we started getting in the box again. Like I'd just like to see that on a more consistent basis and. Yeah, that that's got to st- that that's what I want to see and ultimately like we're fans and that's all we see. We see the output on the pitch. We don't see everything that happens at London Colney, but at Colney Arteta should be kind of thinking, okay, why is this stuff not happening? Um, there has to be something I can do to solve that situation so that they either, um, whether it's because they're not listening or whether they are listening or they feel inhibited, like whatever it is, that I'm doing or that I'm not doing, I have to find out what that is quite quickly. And when he took over, he talked about, you know, talking to all of the players and finding out what they need and what they want. So they'd feel like secure and challenged in the environment. And I don't know, maybe he needs to do that again, hold around a one-to-ones or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also needs to do that with himself. He needs to say, okay, why are they not executing what I want them to execute? And so that's where it has to start. And ultimately we will have no idea Idea whether he's done that or not but um as for what i want to see come out of the end of whatever the process is just more action just more confidence more risk taking more going forward more putting pressure on teams um and 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 sustaining that and we've got we've got a good chance to do that against southampton on saturday yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a good game for that and it's an interesting test in a way too because they're a very pressing side as we know and at times that has been a bit of kryptonite for us, but at home, they're not very good. They will try to press us. And it's a it's a thing we have to be better about stopping them doing. I Paul, I wish we would press more. I, I mean, I realize, look, at this point, two years into Arteta's reign, the fact that we are second to last in the league in press rate means mm-hmm. it's not an accident. We're not yeah. not doing it by accident. It's the plan. And my yeah. only reason I, I don't, you know, I, I hate it is not that I think it's the only way to play football. I just think it is a shortcut to having, you know, our possessions start as some of the deepest points on the pitch of any team in the league. 
And that means you have to play more passes and cover more territory to get into scoring chances. Arteta was asked a lot about scoring goals. He said, we need to score more goals. We need to get the balls to the forwards more. We need to play more progressive passes. Well, you know what helps? Is if you just start right next to them. Compressed up the pitch, players. You know, the other thing about winning the ball at the edge of the final third is you've already got six, seven, eight players right there. They don't all have to move up together in synchronicity. So I just, I wish we did it. We're not going to do it. I'm ready to move on from it. I I do think yeah. that, one thing I was thinking about, right? Think about Arsenal Football Club for the last 25 years. At almost every single stage, we had a player that was a contender to be the best in the league. We had Ian Wright. We had Dennis Bergkamp. We had Thierry Henry. We had Cesc Fabregas. We had Robin Van Persie. We had Alexis Sanchez or Mesut Ozil or you know, whatever you want to say of those two. I mean, at every stage. And where those players went, you know, well... Not Bergkamp and Ian Wright, obviously, end of their career kind of situation, but, you know, Thierry and then Sesk and then Van Persie and then Alexis. It tells you something. Maybe when Aubameyang first arrived, he was in that category. Right now, I absolutely think there is no chance you could say we have a player who is even the top 10 in the league. For 25 years, we may have had the best player in the league or someone you could you could have the debate, best player in the league. We don't have a top 10 player in the league right now. And I wonder if, like... Just that, the lack of that player who can who can fix it for, you know, watching Alexis Sanchez win us the FA Cup against Chelsea, you know, watching him say, fuck it, and burying it in the back of the net from 25 yards out, watching, you know, Thierry take a game by the scruff of the neck. Um, was it the Liverpool game in the Invincible season? Was that the game we were down 1-0 and one came back to win 2-1 after being down at halftime? Or I may be getting I that know, wrong. That's why we have Tim yep. on the pod. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it's um it's it's watching Cesc Fabregas in in the, the 30 second derby or 90 second, 60 second derby, whatever the hell it is. You know, it's it's those players that that can just win it for you. And I know football doesn't work this way, but there are times it feels like players are a force of nature. We're missing that. And I don't know how you get that because you can't just say, well, we'll go out and buy one of the best players in the world. And in most cases, that's not what we did. We found maybe a, a damaged good in Thierry Henry or a, a young player in Cesc Fabregas, you know, or a damaged good in Robin Van Persie, uh, maybe a damaged good in Alexis Sanchez. And, and they became those players. Now, look, maybe Bukayo Saka will become that player. Maybe Gabriel Martinelli will become that player. But there's time between now and that happening. How much do you think we miss that force of nature? That player who... The opposition shits themselves, and when push comes to shove, if the ball's at their feet, there's a chance to win a game. Uh, it's great when you have it. Um, we had it for 25 years, you know? Yeah, but they, uh, like Sanchez, we went out and bought, but a lot of them are kind of accidents, right? Um, or you you grow them yourself, and like we have some, like Sambi Lakanga, I think is a fucking star, absolute star and i think he for might where be. he is in his development where he could be eventually sure but right now sambi lakanga isn't going to go win your football games you know oh, sure but like you got to grow him and like yeah. sesk was a freak of nature he was brilliant by 17 or 18 but in theory we still had to grow him and there he was and he was like within a, earlier than we expected but a young guy we grew or grew while with us into a star. I think Sambi might, like, we need to see more from him and see see him more often. Like, 
Uh, I think we're down on him a little bit because he struggled in the Liverpool game, but he didn't. He struggled at the start of the second half of the Liverpool game. I think he was our best player in the first half. Um, And that's a team that presses you and pressed party and pressed Sambi because they knew Sambi was actually the guy who had the ball. Um, And he did really well against them. I think he's the technical secure. You need that one guy in midfield in particular. Like it's great when you have a Van Persie and you have a Sanchez, but you for for me Arsenal has to have a player who everybody knows, oh he's got the ball, we're safe, we can change our shape from defensive to attacking. Santi Cazorla's got the ball, you're not going to lose it. And, uh, Mikel Arteta is your DM and he's got the ball, he's going to take care of it and put it somewhere safe. We can we can now transition to moving up the field. We can move into position. Cesc Fabregas has the ball. We're not about to lose this ball. We've had those players. And to me, that's the first thing we need. I thought Thomas Partey might be that player. Maybe he still is. But I actually think Sambi Lakanga is the guy that if he has the ball at his feet with just a little bit more maturity, uh, it may not be two or three years we need to wait for it, it could be later this season. It could be next season. It could be intermittently right now. And uh, when he's got the ball, we have a really good chance that he's going to handle pressure. He's going to move it. He's going to make a good decision. He's going to make a nice pass that puts the opposition in trouble. And I think that's where it flows. That's where it starts. Um, so we need to see a lot more from him. But he might be the star that gives us the technical security in midfield that when Chabi or Busquets had the ball, Barcelona, Barcelona knew it was go time. Uh, they weren't going to lose it. He was going to squeeze out a pass that pushed it between the lines and they were moving forward. And I think that might be Sambi. And hopefully party kind of refines what I think he had before and he steps up a little bit and becomes more confident on the ball and he can be that player. And But in particular, if you're looking for a one-off star within our mix, could be him. Yeah, um, and, 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 and I yeah. want to be clear, I'm not saying we don't have a player right now who can become that. I mean, if you told me Bukayo Saka became the best player in the Premier League, I wouldn't bat an eyelash, for example. Yeah. But, but Tim, we don't have it now. And I, I don't want to get hung up on this. I, I want to just wrap up with a couple quick questions about um, uh, Saturday and maybe one question about the COVID situation. But do, do you think that it is the one thing – look, some people will view this as letting Arteta off the hook. Like multiple things can be true. It can be true that Arteta needs to do better. It can be true that he doesn't have that. And, you know, you could argue that maybe he needed to go look for that more this summer. But beside the point – do you, do you think, as an Arsenal fan who has had the pleasure, Tim, of going to the ground and watching maybe the best player in the league for 20-plus years, that the fact that we don't have it, that we don't have the player, especially you know up front or near the up front area, to, to use a ridiculous phrase. Um, <laughs> that could that, have been another segue. Yeah, sure could. <laughs> um, well, we, we need to improve our up front area, I think it is fair to say. But like... Uh, do, do you miss, I mean, just from a fan level, do you miss the fantasy of a Robin Van Persie, the force of nature of an Alexis Sanchez, the eye-watering brilliance of a Thierry Henry? I mean, this is such a leading question. I don't know why I'm asking it. But, like, isn't, isn't that the miss that Arsenal Football Club, for the first time in two-plus decades, doesn't have a play? And, and I'm not saying doesn't have a player that will become that or at times flashes that, but we don't have that. 
Yeah, of course. And um, I, I think there's two things. I mean, obviously, yeah, we, we don't have that player and we did. And that's, um, you know, the, there's a sense of diminishing status there. And, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, all of those players, Man City have stockpiled. Maybe one of them would play for us um, in, a, in a different kind of time. Or maybe one of those players Chelsea's, Chelsea have got would play for us. That's a good point. Yep. Um, but, you know, they're all kind of being stockpiled. I read actually read a really good article um, it's by Jack Pitbrook in The Athletic, actually, and he was talking about Barcelona, and he was like, look at what's happened to Barcelona. They got to, like, footballing perfection, and then what happened? Man City and PSG picked them off. Um, and Can now I just they're... say one thing in response to that, though? Mm. I, I think that that analogy is apt because I think the excuse is convenient. But Barcelona, much like Arsenal, were also the architects of their own demise. Oh, with yeah. Incredibly wasteful decisions on of old course. players, aging contracts, right? So, like, yes, the market got harder. But when you sign Coutinho for $120 million and re-sign Messi, who's only getting older, or when you re-sign Oba and don't sell Alexa, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, yeah. I actually think the comparison is apt because it's fair to point out the changing market but you were also the architect of your own downfall. Yeah, of course. But I, I also think it's easier to be the architect of your own downfall when, you know, when you're competing or when you're trying to compete in in that kind of area. It true, will lead, very, very true. Uh, you know, expensive decisions effectively, and and getting them wrong is even more expensive. But so so there is that. I I also think that the thing is, I guess the thing I, I don't I haven't connected with with this Arsenal team since Sanchez left. Is is the the lack of risk taking, and that's that's kind of a sense of um, personal taste as well. I just like players that do that. I don't mind so much players that give the ball away if they're trying to do something, so, so long as they actually do it regularly enough. Of course, there's a balance. I, I never quite got on with Arshavin because I didn't think that balance was there. I thought he just gave the ball away too often. Um, but with Alexis, you know, when you've got someone putting up numbers like that, like I can live with it. Like I want players to do that. And, and so I miss that. I miss that player that, that really like takes the chance, um, and tries to grab hold of the game. Because the thing is at the moment who like the, the two closest things we have to elite players are a Saka who, um, is well on the path to becoming an elite player and and Abamyang and the thing is with Abamyang is that his elite skill is in the last like 10 yards of the pitch so he doesn't really influence a game in the way that like an Henri or even a Van Persie or someone or, or a Dennis Bergkamp does like someone who gets involved in the play like with Abamyang it's like well if you get the ball in the box enough times he'll put it in the net enough times but you've still got to do that and if you don't do that he'll you know he'll be a non-entity in a game. So there's there's a couple of things like that going on. We've just got kind of the two closest players to it are at different ends of their careers. But I also think that we just don't play, we don't seem to play football in a way that encourages those risk takers anyway. So I do wonder, um, I, I'd be very curious to see how Arteta would manage um, you know, a player like Alexis, for example, like what would he do with that? Would he be, and I'm not, I'm not prejudging that. Maybe he'd be fine. Maybe you'd think, well, the guy's getting me 20 goals a season and, and laying on another 10. So have at it. But it, it doesn't feel like Arteta's football has, um, the kind of the level of freedom yet, um, where, where those kind of players can flourish anyway. Cause you look at even, you look at like some of Henri's brilliant moments. You know, we all remember that goal against Man United over Bartes where he lobs him. Like that, 
that's actually, I mean, that's such a ridiculous goal, but like, it's almost a stupid effort. <laughs> like, if that doesn't go in, that's stupid because it's a waste. It's a waste of a good position trying something that's yeah. really difficult to pull off. I mean, he's good enough to pull it off, and and he does, so it's fine. But you know, for like a mere mortal, that would be a ridiculous thing to do in that scenario. Um, and so there's there's obviously a balance between the talent to pull that stuff off, but also having the freedom to feel like you can do it, to feel like if I try this and it hits the crossbar or it goes on the roof of the net or it goes over, like what will the manager say to me when that happens? So I, I, I agree with you in terms of actual talent. We don't have that absolute, like, you know, n- none of our pl- probably none of our players are getting into the PFA team of the year again this year, you know, Um mm. At the same time, I'm not sure whether the conditions are there for a player like that anyway. And I think Aubameyang, for example, would be closer to it if we were able to get the ball in the penalty area more often. Yeah, well, for right now, we got to win with the players we've got. We need some of these players to step up and become that that force of nature. And I, I think we have very, I want to be clear, I, I think we have some very good players and some young players in particular. It's just that next that next step. So, Paul... The team news looks okay for Smith Rowe. He's being assessed, mm-hmm. but he trained all week. I imagine he'll come back in and we'll see mm-hmm. Smith Rowe and Sack on the wings. And I think we'll see Aubameyang get his place back up front, maybe. I enjoyed the Ars Blog News headline, which said that uh, Smith Rowe and Leno have a groin problem. It sounds like they just had one between the two of them. It's like our or... third Manscaped promo in this, in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you think they? You think they'd have had different groin problems? But no, they have. They have the same groin problem. Same one, which, which is, is fine. I haven't no read different. the actual article, um, but I love the love the. Title. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great headline. Well, well, and so I don't know. I mean, Martinelli's fit. Maybe he mm-hmm. gets a chance up front. I mean, you, you never know. But I. I don't think it'll be Lacazette after what happened. Maybe we go back to the Oba Lacazette thing because if Arteta's really sort of back in the washing machine, he'll be saying, well, what was the last thing that worked? And the last thing that worked was Oba and Lacazette, but it could be Oba and Odegaard. There's questions there, but obviously, I think one of the questions that'll be prominent in people's minds is what do we see in midfield? Some people think Thomas Party doesn't deserve to keep his place over a Sambi Lacongo who's been excellent when he's played a part from Anfield where everybody's terrible. Um, some people would say Granit Xhaka came back in and was everything's wrong with Arsenal. First half that was, you know, lead-footed and and short on chances. But to be fair, there's rust there, and now he's got the 90 under his belt, plus he's contractually obligated to start every game and play 90 minutes. I joke. Um, go ahead, take a guess. I, I don't, at this point, I have to admit, I don't really know. I don't really know. Mm. I mean, apart mm. from Saka, Smithrow, Ben White, Gabriel, Tomiyasu, and Ramsdale, the rest, the rest I... I I couldn't hazard a guess. I mean, I could hazard a guess. I'd probably be wrong. Yeah. Um, so Granit Xhaka was very good against Everton in the first half. And in fact, the first 55 minutes. And if people don't like that, they can piss off. Um, after that, he tired rapidly. Um, I think it'll, the midfield will be uh, Chaka and Party. I think he'll, I don't think he'll back away from Party. That would be a big step and statement. And he'll give him a chance to step forward and come into some form. And I think we rested Aubameyang for one game. We basically said, you need to freshen up, lad. Take it easy. We'll keep you on the bench. We'll keep you in the mix. But um, And if we're desperate, we'll bring you on. 
but even then, like I think we brought on Enkedia to keep the shape. In fact, in the first half when Saka uh, was down, it was Enkedia that warmed up on the sidelines. So there was obviously an intention to put, uh, where possible, to put Enkedia on for anybody who might come off bar Lacazette late in the game. So I think it was just, let's get Aubameyang freshened up. Uh, I think Smithrow comes back in, Saka, he'll want to get more of that, that which has worked for us in the past with Saka and Smithrow kind of drifting into the the uh, free-floating tens, the inside channels, rotating a little bit. Tierney most likely will stay in the mix and we'll push on with him getting forward and filling the five slots in the attacking end. Uh, Smithrow rotating into the the channel there, into the the half spaces more correctly. And that'll be pretty much our lineup. I think it'll be f- fairly conventional with Chaka and Party in midfield, Odegaard. I mean, we might see Lacazette and Aubameyang because maybe he feels that's what... That's the kind of support Aubameyang needs in the box right now, and us being at home means we'll be, we'll have more of the ball, uh, and that that can support and and uh, necessitate having the two strikers more centrally. So I could I could definitely see a reasonable shot at at uh, Lacazette coming in for Odegaard, but I think I think the other that's that's really the only guess for me. I think everybody else I would say I think I know what he's going to do. And, and that'll be yep. the lineup. Tim, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, guessing lineups isn't exactly the best content, but I mean, I look, I'd love to see Samby come back in, not because mm-hmm. I think Samby is like, you know, the greatest player in the league and how can we sit him down, but just because I think from a pure meritocracy standpoint and based on the performance of our other central midfielders, I don't see anyone who has a stronger claim than he does, uh, but I'm not like, you know, pounding the table over it. Otherwise, I'm sort of up in the air on most of this stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I'd love to see Sambi start um, ahead of either Xhaka or Party. To be honest, um, could be either, but I have liked the Sambi Party partnership. Um, and having you know played Xhaka for the entire ninety minutes on Monday, I, th- I think it'd be very justified in kind of sitting him down for this game, and it needn't be. Um, you know, it needn't be for any other reason than his physical well-being, albeit, uh, you know, Arteta seems to believe that he absolutely cannot play without Xhaka when when he's fit. Um, I, I guess just in the interest of looking after players' fitness, I'd have Martinelli and Smithrow sharing the game. Mm. Um, I, I know Martinelli's been cleared, but I mean, he still went off for some reason and hasn't had like a lot of starts this season. So I think like 60, 65 for Martinelli and 25 for Smith Rowe, depending on how the game goes, seems fairly sensible. Um, I put Aubameyang back in. Um, if we're going on meritocracy, I know he hasn't been great lately, but um, I don't think he's played as badly as Lacazette did um, on Monday in any of his games so far. So I think you've got to change that. And unless unless he wants to give Nketiah a start, which he might, you know, I, I wouldn't be that surprised to see Nketiah start up front actually on Saturday. But um, not necessarily saying it's what I would do, but I, I could see it. And uh, I think we can assume that Pepe is probably not um, going to be going to be part of things. So, um, yeah, I, I think like the back five largely picks itself. I think Tierney will stay in. 
Um, but I, I think what it will be is Xhaka party, uh, Martinelli, Saka. And yeah, I, I guess my curveball is I'm going to predict that Nketiah starts up front. Mm, yeah. Wow. That's, wow. that's a big call. Can I ask you a question, Tim? Shoot. Do you, do you think people will have opinions about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think anyone will have any opinions or takes on that whatsoever. Right, I'm going to stick with you for one last thing. You um, know what would be great is like because Tim's really confident with that with that pick. You could go on a real rant right now, Elliot, on that list, that you've had it enough. Like you're not taking this shit anymore. Just go fuck. Go on. Go fucking ballistic, Elliot, right now. No, okay. <laughs> you're not my real dad. Um, Tim, let's just talk yeah. about the COVID thing real quick. Yeah, sure. I, I think whataboutism is a bit dangerous and tribalism is a bit dangerous when it gets into issues of like public health and safety, right? Yeah. Um, the goal is to stop the spread of COVID and stop people being exposed to COVID and the risk of COVID. I guess I just think it is a reflection more of the expected incompetence of the Premier League as an organization and the just true lack of professionalism in an organization just not have a policy. It's just, you know, play it by year, case by case. Mm. Yeah, this team won't play, that team will play. You know, one team trots out a team that gets beaten, one team doesn't. This is our curtain riser for the season, so you got to go play. Yeah, this is the middle of the season. we got other games that are on. You can sit. Like, it, it, Spurs not playing this weekend may be or may not be the best answer for public safety and i i am dubious that it is and i i could explain why but i i you know i don't well setting that aside look because i'm not the expert there it just feels ad hoc and it feels like a lot of things in the premier league where decisions referee you know the referees aren't professional the the decision making is very ad hoc and i just can't believe that this multi-billion pound industry is run in this sort of haphazard way it just it's just bizarre. So, I mean, do you have strong reactions to Spurs not playing this weekend? A lot of Arsenal fans are obviously going to feel aggrieved on the whataboutism front. We had to play, they don't. And I totally get that, and it's fair. But even setting it aside in the interest of public health and safety, I think it is just a reflection of a, a, a jarring lack of protocol. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't think it was unfair that Arsenal were were made to play the first game of the season. They had two players um, with COVID. They tested everyone else um, on the day of the game and didn't find any more cases. So it wasn't an outbreak and it just meant Arsenal had to play without two players. Whereas at Spurs, it's like seven players and rising and most of the coaching staff. So I do think there's quite a big distinction between those two things. Um, but where I, I, I agree is the lack of real protocol because UEFA has one um, and, and that's <clears throat> and it's still um, it still caused some contention. The Spurs Ren thing wasn't didn't sound like it was handled brilliantly, but UEFA has a threshold, right? It's if you've got 13 players available from your A list, you're playing. Um, but obviously you have a B list and that means 13 players plus you know you fill up with academy players after that. Uh, which I think is fair. And and yeah, I do find it weird that so far into this thing that the Premier League doesn't have something similar, like you must have a minimum number of players, um, you know, number of players with professional contracts or whatever. It does strike me as quite odd that they haven't put firmer apparatus around that because this has happened before. Like Aston Villa last last Christmas, I think, they had an outbreak and they had like four games uh, that they had to make up, and that's 
you know, that's so there's precedent there. And like that wasn't a surprise either. We knew that something like that was likely. So, um, and particularly when we're in a situation at the moment where, like the the concept of teams having bubbles is nonsense, and I I know that like Mikel Arteta said this himself mm. in the press conference today. He's like, we can't have bubbles because the whole world is open around us, and you know there's people coming into the stadiums, and you know like bubbles don't exist anymore, um, and 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 I don't really think they should either, um, but uh, and so like that this probably will happen um again and 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 it's happened before even prior to this variant so yeah i i'm very surprised there isn't like quite a firm protocol about the amount of players you need available um to complete a game or maybe like if your training ground has to be shut down then you get to forfeit the game um but if it does if public health officials say it doesn't and it can remain open then you have to fulfill the fixture something like that i don't know the exact detail but it does seem very ad hoc yes and that that's the thing like you hit on the the thing that i think is really important to to bear in mind here this is going to happen you've got a pandemic that is now endemic you have players that are out in the world and it's their personal responsibility to try not to get COVID, but some of them are going to be more responsible and some of them are not. And if you wind up in a situation where they're not and they wind up with COVID and it goes through the camp, like through the, through the team, what is, you know, what is the responsibility for each of them? And I, I, I have to admit that like, I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but I certainly know that there should be one. Paul, I'll finish yeah. with you on that. Just like, I, sorry, Tim, did you want to add on that? I, I literally, I just wanted to add on that. I, I think it's shaky ground as well. And I, I realized that like, particularly Premier League footballers, they are capable of living like a more gated life as it were, but it's also like quite tricky ground, um, I guess, to get in the kind of personal responsibility because like, y- yeah, there, there is an extent to which that's true, but like, you know, if you catch a cold, <laughs> no one blames you for catching a cold. And that's 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 quite similar here. And in fact, this is more transmissible than the common cold. So um And it, to be clear, you could you could catch this through no fault of your own too, right? Like exactly, saying it as personal exactly. responsibility is it is a dangerous thing because you could you know, you could get it from a child who's at school and through no fault. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not necessary that fault be at play. Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, well, you know what? Let's leave it there, I, Paul. I, I'm not to cut you out, but I don't. I don't think we have to go much further on this. Do you? Yeah, no, I don't. Like, I think Tim did a really good job on it. Fair, yeah, fair enough. So, uh, well, how about this? Just real quick to to end on a, on an Arsenal note. Do you have a Do you have a thought for tomorrow? A, a, a <laughs> prediction. Uh, you're you're, yeah. you're the king of predictions because you have predicted bad things against United and Everton. In both cases, been right, but you weren't negative enough in the Everton game. So do you want to go skew even more negative? I know, I got pilloried for my negative view and I was I was actually protecting people, saving people <laughs> from yeah. my, my stoic approach. Um, I think it'll be a 2-2 uh, draw. Yeah, that would be... Tim, Paul's just being do you think contrarian. People would have opi- do you think people would have opinions about that? <laughs> no, not at all. Paul's just being contrarian because people keep saying to him on Twitter that he's too positive and tries to see the best in everything. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let, let's leave it there. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man Twitter Yankee Gunner. Uh, oh yeah, Tim was on too. Tim's on Twitter. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs>
My pleasure as always. My name is still Elliot Smith. You can still block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And yes, if we drop points tomorrow, you can thank the live stream once again. Uh, we will have an instant reaction pod tomorrow. We have George Bird on the Patreon pod next week doing our first ever Academy Roundup. I'm excited about that. Clive will be involved in that too. And uh, Clive will be on the IR pod tomorrow. So in any event, hope you enjoy the game tomorrow. I actually think it could be a fun one. You know what I'm predicting. We love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Southampton. <laughs> Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.